It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Good afternoon and welcome to The Middle, and thank you for meeting me in The Middle, an hour every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week, or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of conversation enough. Coming in at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee would have joined me for Left versus Right. You can listen to this program on the app, the WABC uh, the radio app, or um, WABCradio.com. You can always download it as a podcast. So great to have you along. A beautiful day today. I have a lot to feel really grateful for. Great program coming up. We've got a great guest that we're going to speak to at about the bottom of the hour. Got an update on the latest polling that Bill de Blasio is facing. Give you an update on that and some big news in Huma's life. You know, one of the things I'm grateful for, there is a Goldilocks range if you are a bike rider in New York City. You know, it can't be too hot because then wherever you're going, you're just a sloppy mess. And obviously it can't be too cold because you got to bundle up and your fingers get all frozen. When I was working at Ice Stone over in the Navy Yard and I would bike over the Manhattan Bridge every day, I had to dress like Nanook of the North. But today is the city bike or biking Goldilocks zone. It's not too hot, not too humid. It's going to get warmer. It's going to get a lot hotter, but... Feeling grateful for that. Today is Bo Snurdly's birthday. Happy birthday to one of the stalwarts here. And uh, it's also my brother Jason's birthday. Jason is 55 today. He is an amazing guy. Anything, if <laughs> he's he's the normal, well-adjusted one in the family, the one that has marketable skills, the one that has his head screwed on straight, the sweetest guy in the world. Personal grooming's not his thing, but besides that, he's doing great. He's the one that's the chef. He's got amazing skills on that. I'm really grateful. I've got Rich and Nico on the other side of the glass and Kevin looking after me. Kevin did a, help me do a little video. They say they want me to start promoting the show a little bit more on like Facebook and Twitter. And <clears throat> I don't need to tell you about my history with those uh, platforms, but he took the video of me saying going on the air soon. So I'm grateful to those guys. They keep me out of trouble here. It's Jordan's last week of camp. I think next week I'm not going to be here because I got to go pick it. So it's weird. It's so he. We, I told you, we have one telephone call with him, and then he's writing us letters. And he's been prolific in writing letters. That's a new thing with him. He's never been much of a letter writer. And he's funny. You know, I, I, you don't get letters from your kid very much, right, under normal circumstances. So he writes in a card he sent. He said, uh, Dear Mom and Dad, I noticed you didn't send me – you know, we can send him emails. You didn't send me an email yesterday. How uncommon. I thought that was very – well, maybe it doesn't translate well into the radio – um, but he, we have to go next Saturday. I think I won't be here cause we, it's, it's the day we're supposed to pick him up. But the last time he wrote us, he said, there's a 20% chance. Another new thing he does. He's a 20% chance. He wants to stay. I didn't, I mean, there are kids that stay longer than four weeks, so we have to confront that, but he's apparently having the time of his life. And I'm so, so grateful about that. Um, another episode of my podcast keys to the city landed this week. This is, this is one where we take on an issue that, um, of why it is that programs come to be in government, but we never really assess them about whether they should go away after a while, like whether they're working. And um, I, I take a controversial position in the in the ideas book that this is based on because I borrow an idea from a very controversial guy. This guy, Jack Welch, used to be the head of GE, and he had this formative business book. But it turns out that this guy was a little bit crooked, was cooking the numbers, and obviously not a great example for anyone. But he did have this interesting idea – and I take it on Keys to the City. You can get that anywhere you have. You get podcasts or anywhere on the uh, Red Apple Podcast Network. Um, so let's get into it. It's been it's been a busy week. Like I said, we, we have a, a, a great guest and, um, coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll get to that in a second. Let's do what I like to do at the beginning of every episode, the numbers of the week, 988. That's a new number that you can text if you are in distress, if you are in need of mental health services, anywhere you are in the country, just like 911. Or 411 used to be, and they'll connect you with a live person to help you deal with your mental health issues. We have a mental health crisis in this country, and I can tell you as someone who's had some mental health issues that 
just having someone to talk to is an enormously important thing, and that's a great thing. Starting today, 988, spread the word, let people know, post about it so that people who are in despair, who don't have anyone to turn to or feel that they can't turn to anyone else, now have something to do. It's a remarkable thing that um, that is uh, started today. Um, 15, that's the number of homicide bombers that came from Saudi Arabia on September 11th when 2,977 people were killed. I think you understand why I'm raising that number because uh, just today, I think he's on his way back now, um, Joe Biden met with um, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia and fist bumped with him. And, you know, we had Terry Strat on a couple of weeks ago representing 9-11 Families United. Look, I don't know what to say about this. It, I, I understand you only negotiate and make peace and make compromise with people that you don't agree with. And that doesn't mean that, but these are just bad folks. I'm just sorry. I mean, the, they've never accepted responsibility of Khashoggi. They've never expected, accepted responsibility and fought every step of the way for people like Terry Strada to get information about the Saudi role in attacks of September 11th. Um, they export terrorism. And I just, I find it, I'm a Democrat, I support Joe Biden, but I find it outrageous that he's there taking that kind of casual kind of tone. I understand that the fist bump was what they did when he visited Israel. There's something about it that just really rubs me the wrong way, just the same way it rubs me really the wrong way that former President Trump is hosting this Saudi golf tournament, LVV, whatever it's called, at his country club. I mean, we. Th- this is the way they terrorists wash. They 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 are trying to clean up their image, and I think it's disgusting. Um, Three point five. That's the number of millions of the number of veterans that have been exposed to burn pits as part of their job in the military. And um, there is now going to be a new law that is going to say that if you come down with twenty three different types of illnesses and you are a veteran. Um, that it's a presumption that you got it because you were exposed to burn pits. And we're going to talk about that with John Field, John Field of the Feel Good Foundation. Some of you might know him. You probably know him by sight, maybe not by his voice or by his name. He was arguably the single most influential civilian, maybe American, in getting the 9-11 health responders laws passed. He's got a bunch of them, but the most important one was the one when he got coverage for health health coverage for those that were on the pile that responded on 9-11. He's a very interesting person. He's a real hero of mine, and uh, we're going to get to hear from him um, sometime later in the show, John Feel. And so uh, one other number, 115. That's the number of days to the midterm election, and that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. Some big polls came out this week as it's getting closer and closer to the midterms, and <clears throat> Look, it looks like the Republicans are going to take over the House of Representatives. I think it's probably a toss-up. You know, I'm not a big fan of punditry, but this is the way it it looks. And the Senate is going to be close, but I think the Senate is like a, a toss-up. The Senate, in the the difference in the Senate is that the the Senate, the Republicans are fielding a pretty they're fielding some weak candidates, and we may talk about that on a future show. But one of the interesting things that came out today is a big new poll by the New York Times where they interviewed a lot of folks. They do it with Siena College. It's one of the A-rated polls, and they rate polls, or some of the websites do, based on a couple of things, how many interviews they are, the quality of the interviews, the history they have on getting things right after the fact, how transparent they are about their techniques, how transparent they are about releasing the crosstabs and things like that. And um, it, 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 it looks like... The, the fundamentals are very good for Republicans, and the fundamentals are the things about being a midterm election. You know, the gerrymandering that took place after the the decennial census that just happened. We had a show about this. Republicans control many legislatures. They were able to draw districts that took seats that favored Democrats and made them favor Republicans. That's one thing that changed. Another thing is that the out the the out party in the first midterm election of a of the of a party. How do I say this clear? Republicans, if the Democrats just took over the White House, do very well. Democrats, when a Republican just took over the White House, do very well. And also, um, Biden is a giant drag at the top of the ticket. But with all of that going on, these new polls show that basically the 
identification poll, which is one that just says, since they can't poll every single district, one of the, the indicator polls is they ask as many people as possible in the country, a statistically significant number, they say. They say, do you, would you rather have a Democrat or Republican representing you? And all tallied, it's basically a tie. Democrats came up plus one among people who were registered voters. Republicans plus one among people who say they're likely to vote. And so how does that jive with this terrible environment that we think we have come to expect? We're almost, you know, everyone's basically saying there's going to be a landslide for Republicans. Well, what's happened in the last month or so is the issue profile of the race has changed substantially. It was immigration. It was inflation. It was um, crime. And those are all things that cut very well for uh, for Republicans. And recently, because of the actions of the Supreme Court, now Roe, gun violence, the threat to our democracy, these types of issues are showing up higher in polls. Now, they're not higher than inflation and they're not higher than the economy, but the conversation has changed significantly. But there's also been two interesting changes in the in the what our conventional wisdom is about the parties. One is that more non-whites are moving towards the Republican Party. And I think that is probably a surrogate for economic concerns because more non-white people tend to uh, be uh, lower income. Those people are probably looking at the state of the economy and saying, I'm not happy with how the Democrats have been leading, meaning the president. On the other side of the coin, college-educated Republicans – College-educated people, uh, that is the way to say it, are moving towards the Democrats. That used to be a strong place for uh, Republicans. And those two things kind of happening at the same time are very interesting because, you know, one is a suburban vote that the Republicans need and one is an urban vote that Democrats need. And it has become fascinating the way that is starting to change. Now, none of this tells you all that much about 2024. A lot can change. But that doesn't mean we can't gossip about it a little bit. And the polls show another very interesting thing, and that's the thing I wanted to focus on. You know, here on the middle, I try to find places where Democrats and Republicans kind of agree. Well, both parties agree they don't like their frontrunners. You know, we have large numbers of Democrats. I talked about this last week when I was musing about whether or not we'd be better with the British system of government. Large numbers of Democrats say they don't want Biden to be their their standard bearer, and enormous numbers of younger voters, very young voters, are basically none of them want him. And Democrats under 35, 64%, say they want someone besides him. And on the other side of the coin, Donald Trump is obviously the front runner for his party, and he's been making noises like he might announce literally any day now. 65% of Republicans who have a college degree, apropos of that number I read a little bit earlier, don't want Trump. And I think those are people that are concerned about the January 6th hearings, about maybe the road decisions and these other things. But it is a rare phenomenon that you see the emerging frontrunners of the two parties. Neither one of them is terribly popular within their own party. So there was some polling that has been done within the Republican Party, and this is why I wanted to raise this subject, because after the break, I want folks to call in and let me know how they think about their their party whether you're Democrat or Republican, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222 at Rep Wiener, Wiener, W-A-B-C at Gmail. So they polled, they also polled the 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 uh, Republicans, and as expected, Donald Trump is the, runner, the runaway frontrunner. But he's only carrying 49%. A Ron DeSantis poll second with 25%. This is just among Republican-likely voters. 25% say they don't know Ron DeSantis yet, so that's a good number for him. You want to, If you're not doing well in a horse race, the real number you're looking at is how many people know me, and he's getting a lot of people who like him, who know him are choosing him, and then Cruz and others are way back in the single digits. So that top-line number, the one is Donald Trump gets 49. So that's not an epic number. But what's going to wind up happening, whether we like it or not, me as a Democrat, many l- listeners as Republicans – it looks like we're heading towards a rematch scenario where there are a lot, there's a lot of discontent among Democrats with their candidate and Republicans with their candidate. So when we come back from the break, 
I'd like to hear what you think. You know, one of the reasons I love the show is I get to hear from folks who aren't in my silo, so to speak, aren't in the, the liberal pl- uh, point of view. When we come back, I'm going to take some calls from you, and we'll talk a little bit more about this poll and what it means for our country. Thank you so much for joining me on The Middle, and when we get back, we'll hear from you. I remember Christmas in the blister and cold in the church on the Upper West Side. Babe, I stood the singing, I was holding your arm, you were holding my trust like a child. Found a lot of trouble out on Avenue B. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to the middle every Saturday from 2 to 3. Big Country bringing us back in. Favorite song of my my late friend, uh, Neil Sherman. Every uh, Saturday that we're here from 2 to 3. And then coming in at 3 o'clock, Curtis Sliwa. We're going to talk a little bit about the great state of New York baseball, how the condition of our streets. I think Curtis is probably going to want to make fun of Eric Adams for having a secret hideaway. I wish I had a secret hideaway this week. It's been... It's been quite the week, but we're talking about the state of the political state of play. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, it does, it, this is going to be an interesting midterm. By the way, I think it's been 60 years. Every off-year election, again, of a president, a president's first midterm election, every year, every midterm, I'm having trouble getting this together in my head, every midterm election, after a new president, the in-party loses seats, every single one for 60 years, except once. And that one time was in 1998, when yours truly was elected after um, Bill Clinton was reelected in 1996. Now, that one was a little bit of a glitch, but it's an instructive one, because I believe that in that election, I believe, I know this, in that election, there was a big backlash against the Republicans in Congress because of the impeachment of um, Bill Clinton that year. So it was a little bit weird. But but the, 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 the playing field favors Republicans. There is no doubt about it. Now, one number I left out, just because I don't want to get into this conversation, it's a little bit silly at this point, is Trump v. Biden. And Biden is winning that one. In a weird way, if you're a Democrat – Probably our weakest candidate is the one that we're putting up there. And I don't know if I'm wrong about this. I'm, again, I'm not a Republican, never have claimed to be. But I think that Trump might be the weakest candidate you can feel for the Republican Party. So it's a weird dynamic um, emerging. So people are starting to call. Please, do, uh, if you'd like to be part of this, Nico will take care of you. 800-848-WABC. This program does not work without you. 800-848-9222. We're doing a little bit of, of punditry. A little bit later, we'll be hearing from John Field, the Feel Good Foundation. And I want to give you an update on two people that you may know, Bill de Blasio and Huma, uh, some news in both of their lives. So uh, let's let's go to the calls. Uh, first up, we have Jeff in Manhattan. Jeff, thanks for holding on. I appreciate it, Anthony. So a few minutes ago, uh, you had said something, something, something. I'm a Democrat, and I support Joe Biden. Now, I know... I know how you support and support him, but why do you support him? I support him because he has a, a political agenda that more closely aligns my, with me than his opponents. So his political agenda is something that you align with. Well, he's a politician, right? What other agenda? I don't have his personal agenda. I'm not interested in it. Well, his... I want to make I want to make sure my next my next question or my next statement is is clear. Sure. Uh, based on your your answer, so are you in content with how things are currently in the United States across every single uh, facet of our lives? Every single facet of our lives? No, I'm 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 in the 75 percent that show up in the polls that think the country is going in the wrong direction. Okay. Um, do you think that um, some of Jeff, Mr. are you a lawyer? Uh, 
<laughs> Possibly. Do you think, do you think, do you think that uh, Mr. Mr. Biden's current decisions that he's uh, placed upon our country in the energy sector are uh, appropriate uh, for our success as an independent uh, country? Uh, yeah, I do. You do. Jeff. And and how and how and how is and how so? Okay, well, I, I spent some time and I appreciate it, Jeff. You go ahead and, and call us back. I mean, I've I've done whole screeds about. As a matter of fact, the very first time I did the program, I talked a little bit about this. I think that that you know he's right to try to encourage conservation. He's right to try to bring us to a more green economy. We cannot continue to be subservient to either a, a, a technology that is bad for our environment and ultimately bad for our economy. We can't be getting involved in, in – the only reason he has to be in Saudi Arabia today is because of our reliance on, on, on oil, and, and, and that, that has to change. But I appreciate that exchange. Um, next, let's go to Chris and Beth Page. Hey, Anthony, a couple things. Watch out for Curtis when he comes on at 3. He's going to sidebar you with something. Sid and Bernie put him up to it. I'm just warning you. Okay. okay. All right. And listen, All right. I, 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 whenever Curtis comes in here, I'm looking over my shoulder the whole time anyway. Okay, be careful. <laughs> Thank you, I love Chris. you and I love your show. Appreciate so it. I want you to be prepared. All right, so listen, I lean, I'm a libertarian basically, but I lean a little bit to the right because I'm for like pretty much next to no government, to be honest with you. But I'm going to say this. Um, I know that, you know, the recent Supreme Court decisions have swayed things a little bit, but what I'm noticing is the overall economy, it's always the economy, stupid, yeah. has really, it's the major issue. And I follow all the gambling sites, and that never look at polls. Polls don't mean anything. Always look at the gambling sites. Trust me, they always yep. are right. They had Biden winning last time. They've never been wrong. They've had Obama winning. So they have right now. It's ninety percent Republicans are going to win the House. So you got to put up ninety cents, and you get back a dollar. You make a dime for betting on the Republicans. Yeah. I, I look that's a good point. I would point out I would point out that the markets were seventy five percent for Hillary in two thousand sixteen. But you're right. Look, I, I think that that would be basically the way I would handicap it. I think just given all the, the, the foundational things. And I also think that Republicans plus one is probably more realistically Republicans plus four or five or something by the time it gets to the end. But, Chris, you know, while I have you, I mean, you're a you're a libertarian and that is this idea of having smaller government, government get out of the way. Do you find yourself feeling that your policies are more closely aligned with Republicans or Democrats nowadays? Because under Trump with tariffs, a heavy tariff guy under, you know, I hear people calling in saying the government should do more to get baby formula on the market. The government should build refineries and things like that. Do you find yourself more aligned with Democrats, Republicans in today's world? In today's world, yeah, probably, you know, it's a tough call because this is the way I view myself, okay? I'm socially very liberal, so I don't like the Supreme Court rulings and stuff like that. You know, I'm for, you know, live and let live on all aspects. I'm for, you know, uh, drug, you know, we should have legalized drugs, just tax them. I'm for all that. So, but when it comes to taxing corporations and stuff like that, see, the best thing Trump did was he took down the small business tax from 35% to 21%. And now the Democrats are trying to put that back in. So when it comes to uh, economics, I align myself with the Republicans. But for the most part, everything else, I, I align myself with the Democrats. Well, that is, that's, that's, a great, look, that's a great summary. One of my fundamental beefs with the Republican Party, and thank you, Chris, that was a great call. One of my fundamental beefs, beefs with today's Republican Party is they used to be a fairly consistent conservative party in that they believed in less government. Believing that government should legislate people's health, legislate women's health, for example, that doesn't, you know, you got to, I think you got to kind of turn in your conservative membership card if you, if you, if you, if you believe that. Uh, Next, let's go to Suzanne in Washington Heights. Suzanne, thank you for calling in the middle today. Oh, hello there, Anthony. I'm glad to hear you on this day. You're holding up well. Thank it you. It wasn't frightening. <laughs> I know. I'm terrified most of you. Um, but what's happening to America is we are not getting the message across. We are on the same side, both the Democrats and most of the people. Anyone who's middle class are getting effed over. I promise not to use both of them. But we're both getting effed over by the same people, and the 
People who vote Republican will guarantee that they get asked over by the people who vote for it. How, and they pledge their being chumps for it, you know, being told they're patriots or something. How do we get through that? We're the same. We're on the same side. You know, Suzanne, I, I could not agree more, and I have made this point on this show of several times. Can't we all agree that the common enemy is these faceless, nameless big businesses and billionaires who are – doing amazingly, amazingly, amazingly well in this time. And I'm not saying I don't want people to do well, but these are corporations. Like, who well, who stands up for a corporation? It's a legal entity. And why do we stand up for billionaires? I mean, that doesn't see, it seems like something we can all agree upon. So, listen, we have to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from an amazing guy, John Field of the Feel Good Foundation. He's going to talk to us a little bit about the state of the victims of September 11th. We need accountability from the Saudis, but we also need accountability from our own government. Thank you for joining us here on The Middle. We'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. This is the mob world. So welcome back to the middle every Saturday from 2 to 3 here on 77 WBC News and Talk. The jam bringing us back in. You can hear it all over the place, uh, all up and down the eastern seaboard, the most powerful AM station on the East Coast, or you can download the app WBC Radio. Coming up at 3, Curtis Sliwa comes in and joins me for left versus right. I'm sure he's going to want to give Mayor Adams a hard time for having a secret hideout and probably give me a hard time. I need a secret hideout in a week like this one. So we talk a little bit about the desire with Joe Biden being in Saudi Arabia to hold the Saudis accountable. Fifteen of the 19 homicide bombers came from that country. But our next guest is someone who's devoted, I guess, over 20 years of his life to trying to hold another entity responsible for the obligations that our government has to those that survived that day. I'm pleased to welcome in John Field. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Anthony, how are you, sir? How you been? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Thank so, you so you founded the Feel Good Foundation, but tell us a little bit, how did you wind up getting involved? I guess September 11th changed your life in a profound way, like it changed a lot of people. But how did you wind up getting involved, and what have you been for working for all these years? Yeah, so, uh, look, you know, and my uh, my story pales in comparison to those who were sick uh, from the aftermath of 9-11 or who have died. And um, on September 17th, during the cleanup and the recovery, 8,000 pounds of steel crushed my left foot, and um, I was horribly injured. And um, I've been blessed, um, blessed with the chance to make a difference, and I was given a second chance after spending 11 weeks in the hospital with gangrene, and um, I took advantage of it. And... Um, you know, since that horrific accident, which will never define me, I think um, my mother and the way she raised me defines me. And um, we've now helped pass 15 pieces of legislation, donated $9 million, built a park on Long Island dedicated to those sick from 9 who died, and then uh, donated a kidney to a complete stranger. So, um, you know, if I stopped today, my life wouldn't be complete because I feel like I'm just scraping the surface. Well, it is remarkable. You know, you and I got to know each other, I guess, in mid, in like 2006, 2007, when this was all starting to come to a head, when we started to realize that people that came down to 9-11, uh, on 9-11 that responded to the call, and you were one of them, you were a construction worker at the time, but there were nurses, there were firefighters, there were complete strangers just showing up. We realized that while people walk around today wearing these thin surgical masks, that was basically all the protection that your government said you really needed while you were on that pile, it turned out that wasn't true, right? Well, you know, one, you're aging us because when we <laughs> met 16, 17 years ago, we were uh, had a little more energy and a little more spine <laughs> all along, right? But, um, you know, listen, we were walking the halls of Congress. You saw us, and we were saying we were sick and dying, and they said we were making it up. And, you know, Science caught up to a bunch of ragtag New Yorkers, uh, cops, firefighters, construction workers, survivors, and we finally have validity. And, um, you know, sadly, it took this long because too many people uh, weren't given that fight a chance that they deserve. And, um, you know, I'm always going to uh, 
how we've had that chip on my shoulder and always be a little cranky. And, you know, it's hard to celebrate these uh, achievements, if that's what you want to call them, because uh, too many people have passed away along the way and too many people have suffered and um, too many people lost their houses and their, their families because of uh, the incompetence of a body of work in Washington, D.C. And I, I don't say that lightly. I have a lot of friends in Congress and the Senate, but collectively, as a, as a, as a group, um, they have failed the American people on so many issues. Well, that's certainly the case, and and just to to bring everyone up to date, this fight sounds almost ridiculous that it took so long. It was that the federal government would make sure that the people that came down to the pile as volunteers, as workers, as first responders, were told that they were safe working there. Not only did you lose almost lose your life and lose half your foot, but slowly but surely we found out that people were dying from what was in the air. And the federal government didn't want to didn't want to provide health care. But now you've not only succeeded. And if there if this has been a battle, you've been the general. You've not only succeeded to get health, uh, that health program extended, I guess, took until 2015 to make it permanent. But every year they're adding new diseases that they're they're learning are are remnants of that day. Right. I think they've added um, cancers and other things. Tell us about how the program keeps expanding. Let's go back to 2010 when we got the bill passed the first time, signed into law in uh, January 2011. We had no cancer in the bill. Then a year later, we got four cancers added. Now we have 68 cancers. Number 69 uterine cancers is going to be added soon. And, um, you know, between all the respiratory illnesses, the gastric illnesses, all of the internal illnesses and uh, sarcoidosis and pulmonary fibrosis, there are so many illnesses that are now covered under the bill. And it's not just for 9-11 responders. It's for those who lived and worked and went to school in lower Manhattan. Right. And we implore them to come forward and, and get into the World Trade Center Health Program, file a claim, get in, and then file a VCF claim. You get compensated for your illness. These two programs will last until 2090. And so tell me a little bit about, you know, I, I recall this. Ba- I mean, it's um, almost got PTSD from those days in Congress, not to b- make light of that important disease because that's part of it also. But... At the time, Congress insisted upon listing these diseases. I remember at the very beginning you were saying, hey, don't do that because we won't probably won't know for some time what these are. Uh, and, and, and all these diseases get, keep getting re-edited. But explain a little bit about where the fight stands today because Congress authorizes something. doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. they pay the full bill. Where does it stand today? Yeah, so you know how it works. You know, uh, the bill is, in 2015 was extended until 2090. And to explain this the simple way, because I'm not a smart man, but you're, you're a former member of Congress, you understand, any bill uh, more than 10 years, you've got to find a pay for it for the first 10 years. Um, while we have enough money, ironically, to make it to 2090, we don't have enough money to make it to 2025 uh, for the pay for it. And we're $3 billion short on that. And nobody took into consideration uh, medical inflation. Back in 2015, there were 76,000 people in the program. Now there's 117,000 people in the program. So um, just like in 2015 when doctors and nurses started uh, leaving the World Trade Center Health Program looking for new jobs, it's going to start all over again. Prescription drugs are going to go to generic drugs. Those who get their uh, drugs in the mail every month, every three months, it will be longer than that. Those who wait to get certified for their illness so they can file a BCF claim, they're going to get held up. This is going to cause a ripple effect to the 9-11 community. And... Congress and the Senate right now are lacking the empathy and the urgency that needs to get this done. And it's just going to irate me where I come out and saw a claim thrown because you know how I am. <laughs> so, and, and the way this was originally going to be funded is it was part of Build Back Better. That wound up going down, and yeah. now it needs to move on its own, or is there a plan to move it, attach it to something else? I mean, I don't want to get well, into the weeds of I legislation, mean, but yeah. I want to know what we can tell our listeners to do when they call up their member of Congress. What should we tell them they want? Well, I mean, ideally it would be a straight up and down vote so we could see who's a patriotic American in the Senate and the House. Um, but uh, we're being told, you know, let's try reconciliation, but that's not guaranteed, and that has to be number two before September 30th. Then there's an amendment at the end of the year to the NDAA, and that's not a guarantee. So the old-fashioned way is for us to go down, walk the halls of Congress, and beat the snot out of them like we do. And that doesn't mean – you know, go down there and do an insurrection. That means go down there as an organized group of lobbyists and 9-11 heroes 
and do the right thing so the American people get behind us. Because Congress doesn't move until the American people come together for certain issues. Yeah. I got to got to tell you, John, over the years, you've gotten pretty good at the uh, at parliamentary procedure in the House and Senate, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, know I, I don't. Know, I don't know what uh, what what uh, what gray matter in your brain is being pushed out while you you focus on that. But it's kind of a shame that you have to be an expert in that when all you're doing is asking for kind of basic accountability from government. You, you know, eighteen, nineteen years ago, I had no idea what I was doing, and I tend to think I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, it's it's odd when people come to me for advice and ask me on how a bill is made and how the sausage is made and. You know, not only do I know how the sausage is made now, I know every square inch of yeah. uh, Capitol Hill. And not only do I know every square inch of Capitol Hill, I know where all the bodies are buried. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Well, you um, are, I mean, look, and that's because you've been remarkably successful at it, which leads me, we have one more minute left. To, to tell us a little bit, you're, you're now taking your energies and devoting it towards another group of people that demand accountability, the 3.5 million veterans who've been exposed to toxic waste pits. Tell us a little bit about that project as we go out. Yeah, Anthony, hey, I'm a veteran before I'm a 9-11 responder. This is a no-brainer. These men and women who serve our country, who protect us from harm's way, um, they have the same illnesses as 9-11 responders. They use these burn pits all over the world around their bases, burning ammunition, food, waste, body parts, and they use jet fuel to start these fires. Jet fuel was outlawed in 1972 to use as an accelerator to start a fire in the United States. So why shouldn't it be illegal somewhere else? That's amazing. So now these now these veterans are sick and dying like 9-11 responders. And John Stewart and I teamed up again and with the VSOs. And we're going to get a bill passed in the very near future because it's already passed once. It's going to pass again sometime in the next week or two. And 3.5 million veterans are going to get the help they deserve. Well, that's great. John Field, the Feel Good Foundation. And, uh, John, all the best to you. You are a true American hero. Thank you so much for being with us on The Middle. Thank you, sir. Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. And explain by the who bring us back in. Thank you so much to John Field for joining us. If you'd like to be helpful to John Field uh, and his organization, it's the Feel Good Foundation, F-E-A-L, feelgoodfoundation.com. They're doing remarkable work on behalf of uh, 9-11 first responders and now on behalf of veterans who are dealing with the problem of toxic Toxic burn pits around their ba- their bases that are causing them to come down sick. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. That's the number. We're talking about the political landscape. I'm not a big, I'm not big on like punditry. And so this is we're going a little bit outside my lane. But I do, I really do it, it, like to hear um, what the other side is saying. It's really true. We get into our silos. A couple of odds and ends from this week. Um... I mentioned it's a big day for, for Huma, a big week for Huma, a lot of, uh, of Huma news. It, they are making her book, Both and A Life in Many Worlds, um, is going to be adapted to be a TV series. Frida Pinto, brilliant actress. You might remember her from um, Slumdog Millionaire. Um, she's going to be – her production company is going to be making it. I'm really – look, I just the, – the, if you haven't read the book, the book is amazing. If you don't know Huma's story, her story is amazing. If you don't know Huma, she is amazing. I mean, she's, her her experience in government, she's brilliant. She's obviously an amazing mom. But also, you know, the book also talks a little bit about someone who I never met, her dad, um, who is just someone that, 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 you know, you just read about it on the page and you just find yourself just uh, developing such a sense of admiration for him and what, what he did and what he stood for. So that's super exciting. And a little bit closer to home. Um, there is a brand new poll out, I think it's yesterday. Uh, Bill de Blasio, as you know, our former mayor, I don't know if you've forgotten him already. Many of you may wish you had. He is running now for Congress in an open seat in southern, uh, in, in downtown 
Manhattan. It's like about 14 streets. It turns out I don't live in the district. They carved me out. I got to look at why that happened. My, my block is carved out. Uh, and it goes into Brownstone, Brooklyn, including his district. He is looking like he's going to finish in last place. He's got 5% in the polls. It's a nine-way. He is. This is his home district now. His favorability rate, anyone want to guess? Rich, you want to guess what Bill de Blasio's favorability is in his home district? Uh, I'll say about maybe uh, 7%. <laughs> you know, whenever Johnny Carson used to ask Ed McMahon, he that kind of question, Ed McMahon would do that to him, like make it impossible for this number to be interesting. 21%, but still it's very low. It's not 7%. Rich, it's not going to be 7% in your home district. But anyway, the point is he's trailing. Uh, Carlina Rivera is leading at 17%. Um, and it, the the bottom the problem is with the Blasio is everyone knows him. It's not like you're going to get to know him and say, "Oh yeah, I really like that guy." He's not popular and he's not going to win that seat in Congress. So, well, we have a few more minutes. Let's take the, the call. Let me take some of the calls. We were talking about the political landscape and how it looks, um, and some people are calling in about that. Uh, first, let's go to Andrew in Suffolk. Andrew, go ahead, bud. How you doing, Anthony? I'm doing well, sir. First of all. I'll qualify. I'm a conservative. I, I I lean libertarian, but I am not a Republican. I am college educated. Um, but I lean towards anybody with conservative values. Here's my problem with the left and with very a lot of Democrats and a lot of left-leaning ones, especially the loudmouths like Elizabeth Warren who rant and rave about the corporations while she has a nice Tia Kref, um retirement account through her years in academia that probably has a lot of stocks that are with the people, the very people she's ranting against. The same with the Bernie types, the same with a lot of them. The, my problem with them is they are out of touch with us and me, okay? They are out of touch with people that maybe went to college and I've worked myself to the bones in an industry that has nothing to do with the degree I got. And I paid three student loans off, including my wives. Okay, so someone like me can't understand how I could pay a loan off, three loans off, not making a lot of money, and the Democrats and the left wanting to give away our taxpayer money to people who don't want to pay their student loans. Uh, I, I'm, I, I'm just not happy with the hypocrisy. Yeah, I, I yeah. hear you. I, I have some concerns about that myself. I, I just want to, though, look, it, I think there is this sense not that corporate America is bad. It's just we have too much concentration in power in corporate America, and it's coming from us, the people. Now, you say you're a libertarian. So why is it in a libertarian's interest for a company to be more powerful? I agree. I agree with that. You know, you know what also makes me furious? How government and a lot of people in government in a federal and a state level picked winners and losers during COVID. And they shut down local businesses and Main Street and chose the big businesses that, that flourished very well. And you know what I'm talking about. No, 100%. You couldn't, you couldn't go to a small shop. But 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 the minute the weather got nice, everybody was in Lowe's buying flowers. Everybody was in Home Depot. Everybody yeah. was getting a box or a package dropped off by Amazon. Well, that's that's that was, that's that's a good point. You know, this is making me think. And Andrew, thank you so much for calling. This is making me think that we should have a conversation where we call, especially for libertarians to call in, because it really is interesting. You can kind of make an argument for a lot of the Republican policies that this that the present Republicans are advocating for are more invasive, you know, like, you know, the Supreme Court is one of them. But but Ken, Ken might have a, have a view on that. Ken and Bronx River Parkway, Ken, you're on the air. Thank you so much for calling the middle. Okay, Anthony, uh, let me just start by saying how brutally honest I am. And I'm a very big fan of WABC, just not a big fan of yours. But I give you credit for fighting back. So you're doing okay in my book. Thank you, now, Ken. Here's the thing. The Supreme Court, the reason I'm calling your station is because I turned the radio on right before the guy from Feel Good came on. And I heard a guy call up and say he was a liberal and he was not agreeing with the Supreme Court about Roe v. Wade. 
He was a libertarian, right Ken. Off, he said he was a libertarian, but go ahead. Okay. But right off the bat, I, I started to scream at the radio, why doesn't the host ask the guy, what did the Supreme Court do? Because nobody really knows. Social media is saying they're getting rid of the, um, the, the choice for abortion. That's not what's happening. People don't realize it because they're all screaming that the Supreme Court is doing something wrong. Does everybody know that Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't agree with Roe versus Wade? Okay, it's it's it was a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that was thrown on this country by the Supreme Court. They're not supposed to make law. Ken, Ken, let me just let me just pause because I've done I've done two episodes in this, but let me just I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to turn you off. You're going to have a chance to respond. But there are some things what the Supreme Court did, the Supreme Court said, is this is not a right that a person has. This is something that an individual legislature will decide whether or not you can have. There is a big difference. They decided something wasn't a right. That No one is saying that, that, that abortion is going to end tomorrow. No one's going to say you can't move to a different state. But they did say to women, you don't have this as a right. Now the legislature can decide whether you get it or not. That's what happened. That is not conservative thought that is not libertarian thought saying a legislature can take something away from you that you had as a right is not that well what do you say about that i what i say is that it's not the supreme court's position to tell you they have you have a right or you don't all they're supposed to do is look at a law and tell you if it belongs According to the Constitution, that's all the Supreme Court is in business of doing. Well, that's not true, that's Ken. Not, Ken, that's not true. true. No, Ken, all they these, also say they also say whether there are rights that are found within the Constitution, and they've expanded those rights over and over and over again with their rulings. Some things they have said, no, legislature, this is not your business. You've got to get out of this business because no matter what you think. Remember, the legislature speaks for the majority. Rights are something you have, even if there's only, you're the only person on earth. You have that right. That's what is going on here. The, 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 the Supreme Court has expanded rights in this country consistently every day since we came aboard. Can I ask you, Ken, have they ever taken one away? Have they ever taken a right away? Correct. Well, they, they put this right in place when it shouldn't have been, according to the Constitution. There was nothing in the Constitution that says you have the right to an abortion. They took it. Of course, there's no, it, doesn't, it doesn't say you have a right to intermarry either. And that's exactly right. It doesn't say you have a right to gay marriage either. That's, but that's the point. The Supreme Court shouldn't say you do. Well, that's what the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court is, oh, you can say that you don't like the idea that the Supreme Court has expanded rights. And Ken, I really do appreciate you calling in. I hope you call in again. I, I have said, and if, I've, if you think I've described this wrong or I haven't pushed back when I should have, listen to the past episodes and just go look at the podcast. I've said over and over again, over again, that it is not that, that abortion is being outlawed. It is that something that was a right that a human being had, that they can walk around the streets of the United States of America and say, no government can take this away from me. It's my right. And they took that one away from half the population. And that's unprecedented. Never happened. Now, I do believe it might be the tip of the iceberg. Maybe this is the way we're going. Maybe this notion of progress that we have, if it's not written in the Constitution word for word, well, I say to you, my friends, I say to you, my dear listeners, a lot of things aren't in the Constitution word for word. You know what one of the things is? It doesn't say in the Constitution the Supreme Court gets to decide an act of the legislature is constitutional or not, or the act of the president is constitutional or not. That wasn't in the Constitution either. That took a decision, Marbury v. Madison, I think 1803. So, I, yes, I've heard this argument. I've even had this this conversation with John Katsimatidis, the, the owner of this station, you know, yes, but there's a difference. Yes, it didn't go away. But now, if you are a woman in a state that they outlawed, you cannot go to the court and say, they trampled on my rights. You can't say that anymore because it's not a right anymore. You may agree that you don't like it, but it is not a right anymore. Um, let's go to, uh, to uh, I'm sorry, John in Staten Island. Go ahead, John. Sorry to keep you waiting. Hey. Anthony, I just want to go upon this a little bit more. The the, the Supreme Court gave the the uh, ruling back to the states. 
So basically, Maxine Water was saying she doesn't agree with the uh, Supreme Court. Why do we have 450 Congress people? Why doesn't Maxine Water, AOC, everybody else who wants the abortion, pass the law like they can? That's what legislation, right, Anthony? You were legislator. Yeah, right? yeah. I you could have been. You could have. That's right. No, John. John, that's right. You know, that's a hundred percent right. But, but, John, you're saying. It's not a right unless you have the votes, right? So don't you have enough votes? Democrats run the House. No, but I just want to understand your position. It's not a right unless you have 51 percent, 50 plus one, right? But that's your Senate, not the House. No, no, no. I'm saying 50 percent plus one, 218. You're saying, and I appreciate it, John. Go ahead and call call us again because you actually put it perfectly. If you have to go to a legislature and ask them to give you something and pass something, you have just said something's not a right. Because <laughs> that's, that, that's not a right. That's, that, that's if you have enough votes, you get it. Listen, this I, I just want folks to understand the role of the judiciary. The role of judiciary is where you go is if you're in the minority, you lost the vote. Someone wants to ban something, and you lost the vote, and you go to the court, and you say, no, this is a right that I have under our Constitution. You can't take it away. And the court says, yep, you can't. That's right. You, can't, you have that right. And that's why that's what changed is they, for the first time, and I, and I know people are having trouble getting their mind around this because this is the first time in our lifetime or anyone's lifetime that the Supreme Court has ever taken a right that existed and taken it away. And people say, oh, well, well but it's a right that shouldn't have been there to begin with. That you might have made that argument back 50 years ago when it became a right. You might want to make that argument about about a whole bunch of different things that came around since since Reconstruction and since the 14th Amendment. But the fact of the matter is, it's that the the court has a history in our country of of protecting and expanding rights that people have. Protecting it, by the way, I say to my conservative, my libertarian friends, protecting it from government taking it from you. That's what happened with this is that the the court said now government can take something away from 50 percent of this population that once had a right to it. We're taking it away. And we just have a minute left. Phil, Phil in Westchester, why don't you bring us out, Phil? Yeah, I just I want to say that, you know, as a libertarian and independent voter, I think that uh, the government, I mean, the Supreme Court got it wrong. And uh, there's two sides to the coin here, the Democrats and, you know, New York City in particular. I, I live north of New York City, but they will take away your right to choose whether or not you want to participate in a, you know, a vaccination uh, program and say you can't basically enter society if you don't if you're not vaccinated and can't prove it. And the Republicans will say, hey, listen, we're we're allowed to say, you know, whether or not you choose to have a family. And and I think that it's just two sides of the same coin, that it is a fundamental inalienable right, the right to privacy between, your, you know, making your own choices related to family planning and related to, you know, medical decisions, because they're both medical decisions, you know. You know, I got to so tell you something, Phil, I and I and, and this is a that's a great call. And I appreciate you calling. I hope you call again. You know, look, the bottom line here is and this is true of my side of the aisle also as a, as someone who used to be a Democratic elected official. We no longer have consistent ideology. We no longer have intellectually consistent positions. We pick and choose whatever we think the other guy will disagree with, whatever is convenient. We've had a lot of calls today from people who have said, you know what? I have a philosophy about things. I have a consistent position on things. Sometimes it makes me a Democrat. Sometimes it makes me a Republican. Sometimes it makes me want to vote for Biden, et cetera, et cetera. I think we need more of that. I think we need more of that in the public and more of that in Congress. Thank you so much for joining me in the middle. Coming up next, left versus right.